Describes in the future how um, he saw a vision. Ayareni, the Hakodesh Baruch, who showed me four haroshim, four carpenters who would arrive in the future and will take up our cause, um, taking on those who challenge, as we see today in today's uh, day and age, those who challenge our Yiddishkeit, our ideals of of, uh, of Judaism. And it says these four carpenters will take them on and will do away with them in the future. So the Gemara asks, who are these four carpenters? So the Gemara says that four carpenters are the two Moshiachs, Moshiach ben Yosef, Moshiach ben David, Moshiach ben Yehuda, in other words, Eliyahu, and Shem, the son of Noah. So the, Rashi explains why they're called carpenters. So Rashi goes through and he explains Noah, Shem, the son of Noah, is a carpenter because he helped his father build the table. Eliyahu is called the carpenter because he built the Mizbeach on Harakarnel when he had the showdown with the Obeyabal. And as for the two Moshiachs, Rashi says they are called carpenters because they will build the third base Hamikdash. This is the Gemara, that's the Rashi. Now, there's a double problem with this, uh, with this Gemara, this Rashi. Number one, we're told that in the future, no human being is going to build the base on Igdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us that Hashem says, I destroyed the base on Igdash with fire. I allowed the Romans to come into my base on Igdash and, and destroy it with fire. I promise you, I will build it with fire in the future. In other words, it will descend from Shomayim. It will descend from the heavens. So what does it mean that the two Moshiachs are going to build any base on Igdash? They won't. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to build the base on Igdash. That's point number one. And this question I found has been asked, and possible answers have been, have been given to this. There's, a, there's another problem there. And that is that the Gemara tells us elsewhere that the, chrono, sort of the chronological order of events in the future will be as follows. First, we are, with the arrival of the final redemption, we will gain our own Jewish monarchy. We'll have our own Jewish king. Then will come the Zman of Mechiyah Samarik, when we will do away with Amalek, and only thereafter, the final stage, will be the, the Binyan Beis Hamikdash. Now, in that battle, the final battles, at the end of, the end of days, we're told that Moshiach ben Yosef will come first, he will take up the fray, he will go to the battlefront, and he will fight, and he will fall in battle. Moshiach ben Yosef will die in battle, and then Moshiach ben David will come and finish off the started job. So that means Moshiach ben Yosef won't even be around when it comes to the end of the battle. If he's not there at the end of the battle, how is he going to be there to build any base on Mikdash for us? So we've got a double problem here. Number one, we're told that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to build our base on Mikdash, not Moshiach. Number two is Moshiach ben Yosef, in terms of the chronology, chronological order over here, it's not going to work. Because Moshiach ben Yosef is not going to be there at the time of the Binyam Beis Hamikdash. So what do Chazal mean when they say that Moshiach, the two Moshiachs will build out the Beis Hamikdash. So, in order to answer this, I want to take a look at something at the beginning of the upcoming Sefer of Parashat Vayetze. The story there with Yaakov's dream, with the ladder, the stones, etc. And Bezit Hashem, at the end of the year, will come back and try and suggest a Mahalik to answer this, uh, these questions. The beginning of Parashat Vayetze, 
as I'm sure we all know, Yaakov, as following on from the instructions of his parents at the end of Pasha's Toldos, he goes off to the house of Lovon. Along the way, he passes the Mokan HaMikdash, the place which would in the future be the base, the Binyan Beis HaMikdash, which uh, would take place over there, Aramaria. And he passes straight on. A little while later, he says to himself, what am I doing? I've gone past the place where my predecessors, Abraham and Yitzchak, governed, and I didn't even stop there. So he retraces, he begins to retrace his steps. And as he turns back, HaKadosh Baruch Hu performs a nace, and the Mokam HaMikdash comes towards him. So, there he is, now standing in the Mokam HaMikdash, he governs there, and then he starts on, once again, onwards with his journey to the house of Lavan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, No, Tzadik Bola Beis Melonia, Tzadik has come to my inn, has come to my house, he's got to stay the night. We know when, when we do, as Hashem will have the mitzvah of Ali Al-Regal with the Binyan Beis HaMikdash, We'll go up at the Shodesh Regolim. There's a mitzvah to go up to the to the Beis Hamikdash. Not only to go up and bring various korbanos, but we're supposed to do what's called lina to stay overnight. So, so to it, Yaakov should stay overnight. So, Hakadosh Baruch Hu made the sunset, and with the set, setting of the sun, to Yaakov will be laid down to sleep for the first time in 14 years. So the pasuk says, and he took from the stones of that uh, of that place. So Rashi tells us, what was he doing taking stones? Because he knew he was going to lie down in the middle of nowhere. This was deserted land. Who knows what wild animals would come through the night. So he took 12 stones and he placed them around himself, around his head, as a protection from the wild animals. Now obviously this seems rather laughable. What exactly are 12 little stones going to do in terms of when the big bear comes to and is waiting there to attack him? The lion comes. Do you think it's going to be scared off by a few little stones? Now, don't tell me, I oh, know we're talking about big boulders here, because remember, after all, these stones are supposed to act as a pillow for Yaakov Avinu. With 14 years without sleep, I think he wanted a good night's sleep, so uh, sleeping with uh, huge boulders under his head is unlikely. So if that's the case, what exactly was he thinking when he took these 12 little stones? So a few years ago, I was learning with my, at the time, seven-year-old son, and uh, he said, he said, well, maybe, maybe when the, the bear, the lion, the tiger comes, maybe he would see the face of Yaakov Avinu, such a holy radiance there with the Shekhinah, and it would be scared off by the Shekhinah. So I said, no, for a seven-year-old, I think that's pretty good. But then why the stones? Why do you need the stones? So he thought for a moment, he said, no, good question. <laughs> the common answer given to this is, yeah, a little bit of Ishtadus. A little bit of Ishtadus on Yaakov Avinu's part. But I think... Having thought about it a little while later, I think what he said is spot on, and I want to explain why, but as I said, I think there's a beautiful, beautiful, timeless message here, which is, again, Nogea today more than ever. At the end of Pasha told us, the Sergio we just laid today, so Aesop sees that he looks at what Yaakov Avinu has done, he's been told by his parents, don't take from the Benes Canaan, go off to the house of Lot. So Esau decides, you know what, I've come of age, I'm 40 years old, that's the age that my father got married, so I'm going to do the same. Where did he go to find a wife? He went, eventually went to Yishmael. He went and took the daughter of Yishmael as a wife. Now this is very, very significant, because let me explain to you a little bit of what's going on, the way I understand it. You see, Esau has finally come to the realization that this battle, this showdown between the code of Yaakov 
the spirituality of Yaakov against the Odaim of Esau, the physical prowess of Esau and everything he stands for, there will only be one victor in the end. And that is Klal Yisrael. Yaakov will win every time in the end. Yes, there may be a little bit of a seesaw, there may be a little bit of up and down, fluctuating this way and that way, but in the end, all said and done, Esau will always come out the loser. He decided, you know what? If truly the code of Yaakov, the power of the voice, is stronger than the Yodayim, then you know what? In the same way as in the future, Bolok, when Bolok looks around and he says, Sichain, Oig, all these massive giants, they're just falling like flies to Klal Yisrael. They're falling like flies in, in the face of Moshe Rabbeinu. What is their secret? So Bolok sends off to Midian and he says, No, Moshe Rabbeinu, he grew up in your midst. What is his secret weapon? So he was told it's the power of the curl. Moshe has got a special kayach, the gift of speech. So, what did Bolok do? He went and found his own man with the gift of speech. Who's that? Philom. The same thing is with Esau. Esau said, if Taka the Kerb is so powerful, then I'm going to go and find my own man who's got the power of the Kerb. And who's that? Yishmael. We know that Yishmael is Yishmael. HaKadosh Baruch who listened to his voice when he was lying there on the, on the brink of death as a child in the desert. We know that Taka, we see it, the Arabs, they pray five times a day, at least the religious ones. They have a certain Kerb Hatzpela. And therefore Esau decided, you know what, if the Odai, if the physical prowess is not strong enough on its own, well let's make an alliance with Yishmael. The two of us together, my Yodai, plus the code of Yishmael, that's going to be the winning formula. My Cherev, my sword, together with the power of Tefillah, which is often compared to the bow and arrow, because there's the Master of Shashiva explains the words of Tefillah, they shoot out of the mouth and they go up to Rumo Shalom, to the heights of the world. Yishmael is the Rebek Hashos, he's described as the Rebek Hashos, the expert archer, the two of us together, my Cherev and his Keshes, my physical, the swords, together with his power of Tefillah, this is going to be the winning formula. Once again, we know Yaakov Avinu said to Yosef, I'll give you Shechem Achadar Achecho, Asherokati Miyato Emeri. I won against Esau once again, the Charbi or the With my sword and my bow, they're stronger than Esau and Yishmael put together. But you have to realize, this is not going to be an easy journey. As Reb Chaim Vital says, Reb Chaim Vital says on the Posuk in Tehillim, it says in Tehillim Kuf Chaftalit, it writes there, that Yokum Oleinu Odom, at the end of days, a man will rise up against us. So Zubchayim Vital, what Claudius has endured in the last, over the last 2,000 years plus, through one exile after another, through the, ultimately the four exiles, that's child's play. Because in the various the divisions of Doniel, whether it's Esau, or it's Edom, whether it's goddess Yovon, whether it's goddess Pras, whichever goddess it may be, they are portrayed as a wild animal. Whether it's the bear, whether it's the lion, and so on and so forth. Take a look at the visions over there. When it comes to man against animals, no, all said and done, the animals are scared of the human being. The human being has a certain dominion over the animals. But you have to realize that at the end of days, 
they will yakum alenu odom. A man is going to rise up against us. This man is the pere odom. Is the wild man in the form of Yishmael, who is described as the pere odom. He will come at the end of Goddess Edom, and that's going to be a far, far more dangerous time, because an Odom against an Odom, one Odom is not put off by the other Odom. And therefore, this is going to be a far more difficult battle. In top Reish Tzadi Vov, that's just over 80 years ago, on Erev Tishabov, my great-grandfather, Rav Noach Segel, who was uh, originally from a town in the, uh, in the Ukraine, Kharkov, but uh, he moved. He moved to Eretz Yisrael, and he um, he became a rob there. And he he writes that he was sitting down on Eretz Tishabov, writing the Hakdama, the introduction to his sefer, his first sefer on Chumash, Avasnarav, the first Chayim. And he says he writes there as I'm writing now on Eretz Tishabov, Tafresh Tadivol. He says the Arabs are celebrating in the way that only Arabs celebrate. Um, celebrating their hundred years since they first gained whatever settlement it was. And he says it's terrible, the times for the Jews, they're burning, as I said, this is Arab celebrations, burning Jewish property, burning this, and never 50 innocent Jews have lost their lives in the last few days, just going, just going about their lives, whether it's going to shul, whether it's going to work, to the shops, 50 innocent Yidden. You look at today, and it's really, that is, what happened then was child's play compared to what's going on today. But he continues on, he says, he was just thinking to himself, where are they celebrating? This is, these celebrations are going on in Yaffa. He says, in that spot, more or less, the spot on Yaffa, that's the story, that's the, the location where the story with Yonah took place. He says, just stop and think for a second. Yonah was seemingly a lone Jew on a ship with many, many other people of, of other nations, religions, beliefs, and a storm begins to brew and it gets worse and worse. And the people on the ship look out, and they see how all the other ships are just passing, blue sky, calm waters, and just their ship seems to be in the midst of a very violent whirlwind. And they understand this is not just by chance, there's obviously something is going on over here. So eventually, they cast lots. And the lot falls on Yona. When they go to find Yona, he's just sleeping on the lower deck. Yona says, it's 100%, it's because of me, I ran away from Hashem. He says, cast me into the waters. They say, we can't do that. And they try everything under the sun, but not to throw him into the waters. In fact, the Medrash says, eventually they decide to try it out. So they take Yonah, and they dip his legs into the, into the waters. The, the storm stops. So they put him back on board, and the storm starts again. They try it again. He says, just think for a moment. If a Jew today was on a ship with Arabs, and was, this is again, more than 80 years ago he's writing this. If a Jew was on a ship with Arabs, and he was to admit to them and say, I'm, I'm a Jew. He said they wouldn't need any storm. The Jew would be the first thing they'd throw overboard. He says, what has changed? What has changed in the time since Yonah, when they were in absolute awe of Yonah, to the times we're facing today? And we can ask the question today more than ever, what has changed? So to answer this question, I'd like to share with you an idea. It's based on, based on something um, Rav Shem Shem Pinker said. In 1948, when Israel declared its dependence, in independence, I should say, so the, obviously there was obviously mixed 
mixed opinions on the matter. There were some who were vehemently against it, those who were for it, those who said, well, you know what, for Edson it could be a good thing, but because it's void of religion, the people who have started up are trying to uproot religion, therefore, because of that, it's not a good thing. Amongst the people who were against it, as you can well imagine, was the Briskorov. And Shimshon Pinker says that when the Briskorov was told the news that it, it had finally passed, they'd gained their independence, they'd declared their own state, the Briskorov responded with one sentence, and he said the following. He said, oh well, now there are 71 nations. What did the Briskorov mean with that statement? Oh well, there are now 71 nations. So if Shimshon Pinkus explains, he says there are 70 nations and a Jew. The Jew is not a nation. The Jewish people are not a nation in that sense. We're called an arm, we're called this, but we're not a nation. We are simply a mirror. What that means to say is like this. If a Jew hops on a plane and goes to America, the minute he lands on American soil, he has become more American than any nationalistic American in the country. If he then hops on a plane and goes to China, he will become more Chinese than any Chinese person in the country, and so on and so forth, because we are a mirror. No matter where we are, we will mirror the country, the locale which we are, which we are occupying. So you go to America, and you say to an American, you say, how American are you? Well, how many generations back can you trace your American lineage? He says, well, two, three, because at some point, yeah, we were immigrants. The Jew, the minute he comes there, he mirrors the very epitome of what America stands for. He comes to Britain, he becomes more British than anyone else. Why are we, cre why are we created as, as a mirror? The answer is obvious, because we're created to mirror Hashem. We are the ambassadors of Hashem in this world, and we are created to mirror the glory of Hashem. We are referred to as the Levana, the moon. Hashem is Kiviyachal, the sun, and we are here to mirror and reflect the glory of Hashem in this world. Obviously, if we assimilate, then we will mirror nothing of Hashem, and we will simply mirror the country that we are found in at that, uh, at that time. Somebody told me that um, a number of years ago, you may or may not remember, but uh, when there was a, there was a whole uh, big thing made uh, when Princess, Di Princess Diana she went and she shook hands with somebody, she went to visit a group of people who were never suffering from AIDS, and she went and she shook hands with one of them. So there was a whole big thing of the bravery of Princess Diana, and this actually reached, it was part of a discussion in the House of Lords. So then Rabbi Lord Jakobowicz, the late Chief Rabbi of, of, uh, of England, he, he spoke there and he praised her bravery. So somebody got up, one of the other lords got up, and said, if I could put the following question to, you know, my, the, the right honourable here. How can you praise her bravery? At the end of the day, we all know that the majority of these people who are suffering from the, this dreaded illness, it's the result of a very, if we can say it today, undesirable lifestyle. I'm assuming this is not vetted by Ofsted. But uh, <laughs> we know that. And this was even in the outside world, you didn't have to be Jewish, this, this other lord was not Jewish. In times gone by, it was seen as being undesirable to say the least. How can you praise her, her, her courage, her, her bravery? We should leave these people, as it were, to rot. So this person who told this over to me, he said that he heard this, Lord Jacobovitz told him over, he told him this, uh, this 
sticky situation he was in at the time, he said he knew he had 20 seconds on which to come up with something inspirational. He said he knew this was a pivotal moment. What was he going to say? It was absolute silence, and he was thinking, racking his brains, and he said he had a moment of absolute incredible siyata dishmaya. He said, Hashem put the words into his mouth, and he said the following. He said, since the times of Avraham Avinu, we have been known as the people, the Ibrahim. We are on the other side, the world is on one side, and we stand on the other side. He said the following. He said, we are in this world, but not of it. In other words, yes, we live in this world. We have to know how to relate to other people. We have to be able to speak, be ambassadors of Yiddishkeit, but we do not necessarily buy in to the ideals of this world. We are here to mirror and to reflect the glory of Hashem, not the glory, the so-called glory of British values, American values, Chinese values, or whatever it may be. That's what he said. Taking it a little bit further, in Darke Musa, Rabbi Yaakov Naiman, he says that again, a number of years ago, one of the Israeli high-ups politicians, again, I won't say who, but uh, you may or may not be able to guess, he was in America, and he was uh, he was speaking in what's known as YU, Yeshivas Rabbeinu Yitzchak El and he said them within his his uh, in his speech. He said, "You should know that we're referred to the Jewish people are called the chosen people, the Amanitcha." He says, "We're not. We're no different to any other nation. There's nothing special about us. We are simply just another nation." That's what he said. So Rabbi Yaakov Naiman said, "He said you should know when the Chovitz Chaim was Nifta." So Rabbi Rucham, the famous Mashkiach uh, of Meir, Rabbi Rucham gave a three-hour hesper. He doesn't tell us what he, he didn't relate the whole three hours, but he said in that hesper, Rabbi Rucham said the following. He said, you know that Darwin, he propagated the theory of evolution. He said, had Darwin ever met in his life the Chovetz Chaim, just for one moment, he would never have been able to postulate such a, such a theory. To see the Chovetz Chaim, you would have realized that is absolutely impossible to come from a monkey. Rabbi Yaakov Naiman said about this, this uh, Israeli politician, he said if he would have had the Zuchus to be in the surroundings of the Chazanich, the Briskarov, and people like this, he never would have been able to say there's nothing special about us. As human beings, you're right, we're like any other human being. But if we act as ambassadors of Hashem, we carry on our basis the Shekhinah, then you will realize we are very, very special. We are the chosen people, and there's something different about us. That was the reaction to Sub Shimshan Pinkus, to, to um, that was the reaction of the Briskarov. Until then, we didn't have a homeland. Wherever we were, we were simply a mirror. So we were in Britain, we mirrored Brit- the, the British. In America, we'll, me- we'll mirror the, uh, the, the, uh, the Americans. There's 70 nations plus us. We didn't need to have to be our own nation because we were proud to be mirrors of Hashem. But now in 1948, he says, the Briskarov felt that these people had gone and taken, decided, you know what, we no longer want to mirror Hashem. We don't want to mirror the British. We don't want to mirror the Americans, the Germans, etc. Understandable. We want to have our own land and be our own nation. We want to be an Israeli nation. He said, now they themselves 
with own declaration, has made a 71st nation. He says that was the reaction of the briskerov. I think that explains very beautifully what's going on over here. You know when Akashverosh was looking for a new queen after the death of Vashti? So they had a, a competition. All the women had to come and Akashverosh would take his pick. He would decide which wife, which woman he was going to take as his queen. And this went on for a long time until finally Esther comes in. And he decides, after Esther, he says, this is it. He doesn't even need to see the rest of the women. He says, send them all home. The competition's over. It's a little bit strange. So you can tell me, up to this point, Esther was the most beautiful woman he'd seen out of all the candidates till that point. Then how did he know that there was no, nothing more special than the remaining candidates? How could he be so sure? The answer is, because think about it. Esther, Chazal say, was something like an 80-year-old. Chazal says she was green. She'd been fasting for a long time. So what did he see in her? The answer is, She came in, and she carried a chen v'chesed. And the Gemara says, this wasn't a natural beauty. She carried the chut shel chesed, some sort of special cord of chesed from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Meaning to say the spiritual beauty was portrayed, was projected on the outside, and it was right there in front of the eyes of Akashverosh. And Akashverosh said, I've never seen anything like this. This is not something natural. This is not something of the human world. This must be, I've never seen anything like it. He said, this is not human. In which case, you can send all the rest of the women home. He obviously, at that point, he didn't know she was Jewish. But he knew this was something unique. He said, there's, not, there's nothing in the physical world as, beauti as beautiful as whether he realized or he didn't realize this spiritual beauty, the beauty of the Neshama. And if we told them, send the rest of them home. So too over here, the people were on the ship with Yonah. And he said to Yonah, they said, who are you? Meaning to say, they looked at Yonah, such a, a nobby, and they said, we look at your face. Amazing. Who are you? What is your malacha? What? Tell us about yourself. He responded, Ivri Onoichi. Ivri Onoichi Yes Hashem Shomayim Aniyore. If you remember the question, it doesn't seem to really, they said, what's your malachal? You know, that's who I am. You're looking at me and saying, we've never seen anything like it. We're in awe of you. The reason is because Be'eserekim Aniyore. I fear Hashem. I'm a mirror of Hashem. You're right. You've never seen, I don't look American, I don't look British, I don't look Chinese, I don't look anything like, like any of the religions you see here. The answer is because I'm not a nation unto myself. I am a mirror of Hashem, and what you're seeing on me is the glory of Hashem. It's true, the nations, as Rukhain Vital said, Yakum Olinu Odom, Yishmol will rise up against us. They are a human being. A human being against another human being. An Arab against an Israeli. When they look at an Israeli, of course they hate them. Esau, Sonius, Yaakov. This Esau, where they see Shmuel, they hate our guts. So of course they look at us, they say we're stronger physically, and of course they're going to attack. The difference is that in the times of Yonah, he wasn't an Israeli, he wasn't another nation. They looked at him and they saw the Shekhinah. They didn't see a human being. They saw the Shekhinah. And the Prophet says, They may not fear the Jews. But when they look at you and they see the name of Hashem etched into your very face, 
Veron kalami ahoret kishem Hashem nikraadecha v'yaru umimecha. They will flee. They will run away. That's the way it is. You always say together with this the story with the Vilna gone because the Gemara says. Now let's go straight straight to the story. One time the Vilna gone was staying in an inn. And he was davening one morning, he was davening, davening in his room. And all of a sudden, in the middle of davening, he hears screams for help from the, from the innkeeper. So he opens his door, and he sees the innkeeper's being attacked. So the attacker looks up, sees the Vilnagon, and he runs. So the innkeeper says to the Vilnagon, he said, what did you do? Did you cast, cast some sort of, I know you're a holy Jew, but did you cast some sort of a, some, some sort of Kabbalistic spell? So he says, no. So he says, so what is it? What was he scared of? So he says, the post says, and the Gemara says, When he saw my tefillin, so he ran. So the innkeeper was confused. He said, yeah, but I was also wearing the tefillin. So the Gemara says, listen carefully again. The Gemara did not say, It says, No one's going to be scared of some black boxes that, you're, that are sitting on top of your head. But if they look at your face and they see that clearly the message of the Tzfilin, the glory of Hashem from within the Tzfilin, is borosh, you've internalized that. And you realize that no physical prowess is going to help us. It's Hashem who will help us. We carry the, the, the Shekhin of Hashem within us. We are a Hechol for Hashem. Then 100%. They're scared of Hashem. They're not scared of a Jew, but they're scared of Hashem. When he saw that, that's why he ran away. And that's the difference between Yonah and what we're facing today. With Yonah, they looked at him and they saw Ivri Anechi. I'm an Ivri. And Ivri means, I don't have any identity of my, of, of my own. I'm simply a mirror of Hashem. They're scared of Hashem. They're not scared of Jews. They're not scared of Israelis. They're scared of Hashem. That's the, that's the, uh, the message um, of Yonah, if you want. In 1941, a, obviously a very dark period in Jewish history, so Rabbi Chaman Wasserman was on the run together with his yeshiva from Baranovich. They went from Baranovich, he was, they were told by the, the leader of world Jewry at the time, uh, Chaim Lose, he told all the yeshivas to come to, to Vilna, that there wasn't enough, uh, it was impossible in Vilna, they were overcrowded, so the kids, they eventually, they ended up in some place near Kovna, and gradually, gradually, as the noose was, was, uh, was tightening, so the yeshiva was falling apart, it was being disbanded by communists on one side, the Nazis, Yamach Shimon, on the, on the other side. And the kids of Ochanon, he was trying to get, at the time, they were trying to get visas to go, be able to go to, to Eretz Yisrael. In fact, as it happens, he was literally on the verge of going to Eretz Yisrael, and his son, I think, fell and, and, and broke his leg, so he wasn't willing to leave his son behind. The kids, he was hiding in a house together with a lot of other Tommy de Chachonim, and it was, it was the, the, the home of a, of a family freedman. And um, the mashkiach of the yeshiva of Avram Grzynski, he said to Rabbi Khanon, as it was getting, things were getting far, getting worse and worse, he said to Rabbi Khanon, he said, could, perhaps the Rosh Yeshiva could give us a shir on the subject of dying al Kiddush Hashem. They knew this, this may well become a reality. So Rabbi Khanon said, I can't, I can't, at the moment, my mind is so uh, tolerant, so taken by this situation, I can't think, you know, that deeply to be able to give a share. He said, you give the share. So Rabbi Ron Grzynski said to him, he said, I can't give the share. He says, we'll make a compromise. I'll give a share on Musa, I'm the Mashkia, and you give, you give a, a share on 
whatever a Shalom on Halacha. So Rabbi Chonon agreed, and Rabbi Chonon spoke about the Yikvah of the Mashiach at the times of Mashiach. And he quoted the Gemara, which says that um, about the Chavri Mashiach, he said, Yesi. Something the Gemara says, yes, they should come. They should come quickly, but the Ichmini, that I don't want to be there when, they, when the Chavri Mashiach comes. And with that, Rabbi Chonon, who was known to be a very, very stoic, seemingly unemotional individual, he broke down into a torrent of tears. He sensed what was coming. And Taka on the, it was, I think, the, the 11th of Tammuz, the 6th of July, 1941, they'd been hiding and they'd been evading for a long time. But once the Germans took over Lithuania, Lithuanian uh, yeah, Gentiles, um, they were obviously only too happy to assist. And um, they, I mean, it's, it's a very sad ending that they, they watched, they, they were able, there were two of them, there was a German and a, and a, and a Lithuanian who were watching. And they watched a, a Jewish little boy and they saw where he went. He went into this house and they knew that obviously if this boy was going there, there must be something hiding in there. And they went in and they burst in and they, they rounded up 12 big tonnes and then they found Rabbi Chonon Basman, he was just sitting there learning with absolute tranquility as he was all the way to the end. And he sat there by the staircase learning. And this, this part is quite well known that the, the um, I, think was, I think it was this way around, the German looked at the, at the uh, Rabbi Chonon. They pushed him up, pinned him up against the wall, and he looked at Rabbi Chonon's face and he turned to the Lithuanian and he said to him, we can't take this person. Some versions say that he said he's an angel. Just the, the Lithuanian, I think it was this way around, the Lithuanian was even more barbaric than, than, uh, than, than, uh, than, um, than, the, than the German, and he said, no, we're taking this one with us. And as, as the sad ending, they were all taken and held for 24 hours in the, in the seventh fort, and they died al Kiddush Hashem. You see here the idea, and we'll come back to this Bezaz Hashem soon, but Rol Kolonia Oret, they're not scared of Jews, but when they see a Malach, when they see the Shekhinah, even the worst of the worst, the most wicked are in all. That's one thing they will not touch. The question has often been asked. We know that, that Chazal make a big thing of the Akedah of Yitzchak. And they ask, what was the big Messiah? And what was the big thing about Yitzchak? Yitzchak was taken as an Akedah. It didn't even happen in there. Sadly, over the, over the millennia, we've We've lost millions, or not lost, but millions of Yidin have died al Kiddush Hashem. What was so special about what Yitzchak did? So many Yidin have done it. So the answer often given is, no, you can, we've misunderstood the point. The Akedah of Yitzchak was planting in every single Jew in the future that seed which would give them the strength, the inner strength, and the ability to be able to give up one's life and stand up one's Yiddishkeit. That's what Yitzchok did with the Akedah. The only reason that these millions of Kedoshim have been able to give up their lives and that we still fight for what we feel proud of is because Yitzchok implanted that within every single Yid that pride to be a Yid and the understanding that that Yiddishkeit is worth more than anything else in the world. That's what Yitzchok implanted with the, with the Akedah. If we turn back now to the parasha of Bayetze, Yaakov Avinu takes the 12 stones. Where were these 12 stones from? The Pirkei Jerebeliezer says he took these 12 stones from the Mizbeach on which Yitzchok was tied up to the Arkadah. 
That's where the 12 stones were taken. Think about it. What is Yaakov Avinu doing here? He's taking 12 stones, 12 potential Akedas, 12 potential Kedoshim people who are going to give up their lives for the sake of Yiddishkeit. That's what the 12 stones are. They are 12 Akedas. And he places them around him, around his head. What then happens? Why are these 12 stones there? Because of the Chayis, because of all these wild animals, all our enemies, those who hate us as Yiddans, Aesop Senes Yaakov, all these wild beasts who are coming to attack. You have to understand, when, when it's the Germans, whichever one, whichever nation you want to take, they didn't make any difference, to them it didn't make any difference whether the Jew was an Ashkenazi, a Sephardi, whether he was Litvak, Hasidish, whether he was Mizrahi or Haredi, Chiloini, they couldn't care less. Because they understood something which sadly so many of us miss, and that is we're all Jews together. What strike, what a person actually, the way one serves Hashem, as long as a person is part of Amcha, a person is still within the ranks of Klad Yisrael, we are all Yidden together. And that's what they came. They came, they come around these 12 stones, and they force us to come to the realization, you know what? We're all Jews together. We all share that Jewish gene. And therefore, what happens? The 12 stones all unite as one. The 12 stones unite as one. What happens? The 12 stones are fighting with one another. They're all saying, What are they saying? Think about it. What are they saying? The stones are saying, No, my way of Avedas Hashem. I should be the one to go under the Sadiq's head. Right? Chasidus, that's the way to serve Hashem. The Litvak stone says, No, 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 no. Sitting there saying to him all day, going to the, going to a tish, no, that's a waste of time. This is sit by the Gemara. Right? And the Sephardi says, this is the way to do it. The Ashkenazi says this. All these 12 stones are saying, our way, my way is the real way. Then what happens? You've got the, twer- the, 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 the beast, the animals, the enemies are encroaching. And the enemies don't seem to care whether it's that stone, the Ashkenazi stone, or the Sephardi stone, or, the, or this stone. They're coming to attack all of them. And they suddenly hug. Hold on a second. As far as these beasts are concerned, we're all the same. We're all Jews together. So what do they do? They suddenly say, you know what? We can all serve Hashem together. And all 12 stones unite. They all swallow up into one stone. And they go under the head of the Sabbath together. Wow. We can all serve Hashem. You do it from your side. I'll do it from my side. Fine. We don't have to agree. And this is something which is very key to realize. We don't have to agree on principle, but on the personal, we do. They tell a story with the Vilna Gon. The one time the Vilna Gon, they were waiting to start, start Milch or whatever, whatever it was of the day. They were waiting for a minion. So somebody's counting. There's ten here, no? So they go into the Vilna Gon and say, what are we waiting for? So the Vilna Gon says, we need another, we need a minion man. He says, no, 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 there's ten. So the Vilna Gon says, no, 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 that person over there, he doesn't count. Doesn't count for a minion. The person tried to be clever with the Vilnagon, which is never a clever, never something clever to do. He said to the Vilnagon, he said, Why do you say I'm not included? Chal Shabbos, whatever it is, but Pahesia, you're not included, you can't make up a minion. He said, Yeah, but you know, the Chazal say, I'm sure you do, I mean, you're the Vilnagon after all, you must know, the Maimon Chazal, that in the Kateras, when they made the Kateras, there were 11 ingredients. And one of the ingredients was the Chaldana. 
Chavon on the Sunday which had a foul smell. And Chazal said, why is it included in the Kateria? It's a foul smell. The answer is, is to teach us that in the makeup of Kali soil, don't say, oh, that Jew, he doesn't keep very much. No, we don't need him. Every single Jew is absolutely crucial in the makeup of Kali soil. Don't ever forget that. So he said to the Vilnagons, you see, you need me. Why do you say I can't count? So the Vilnagon, as I said, don't mess with the Vilnagon. The Vilnagon said, now you know why there were 11 ingredients. <laughs> what was he saying? He was saying, you're absolutely correct. You're a Jew. Let's assume he was Bechlal Amkho. Probably wasn't. That's possibly part of the, the main point there. It doesn't matter. On the principle, though, I can't include it in a minion. I'd love to. The halacha is halacha. When it comes to principle, I have to stand up for what halacha says. If you're not included, you're not included. Does it mean I don't love you as a Jew? Of course I love you as a Jew. One of my favorite stories I heard from Rebosha Zayda Grubenstein, the late Rosh Hashiva of, uh, of Terah Simcha. And here, a, a Talmud of Rav Shach, and he, it's such a beautiful story, he says with Rav Shach, that um, some, some time ago, there was a French young man who wasn't religious at all, and he, he got engaged, and he, somehow he wound up in, in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, and he met on the street, he met his, uh, his, his rabbi back for, you know, from France, and he went to the rabbi and he said, you know, there's a congr- wish me congratulations, I've just uh, even said become a chosun, but, uh, you know, I've just got engaged. Would you officiate at my wedding? So the, the rabbi looks at him and he says, and who is the young lucky woman? So he knew, they both knew what he was getting at. So he thinks for a moment and he says, the, the young French man, he thinks and he says, um, Sprinter Cohen, how's that? So the, so, the, um, so the rabbi looks at him and he looks at him sadly and he says, you know I can't officiate. You know I can't. So the, so the young man looks back at him and he says, fine. If you don't want to officiate, that's fine. Don't worry, there's many rabbis out there who will officiate. They don't care whether I'm marrying a Jew or a non-Jew, they couldn't care less. Once again, this young, this, this, this French uh, role, he knew he had, he had to come up with a, to do something. Something, he had about 30 seconds to do something before he lost contact with this, with this uh, young French man. So he said to him, look, you're here in Israel. I don't know how often you come to Israel, maybe some sort of birthright trip. Don't you think it's worth going to see the leader of world Jewry? Presumably, I don't know when, which point in Rafshak's life it was, but presumably he wasn't a young man. So the young man obviously knew what his Rob was up to, but he thought to himself, he says, look, I speak French. As far as I'm aware, Rafshak doesn't speak French. He speaks Hebrew. He speaks Yiddish. I don't understand a word of that. What can it harm? Yeah, you know what? It's worth, it's worth the experience. So there he was, he agreed, they went and they stood in line, and he waited to, he waited his turn. You can imagine, full work, something obviously he had the respect to put on, put on a kippah, but he went in, jeans, everything, earrings, etc. He goes in, a quarter of an hour later he comes out, white as a sheet. So the Rob says to him, he says, do you need a drink of water? You're all right. He says, just give me a phone. So he gives him a phone, he calls up, and you can see, you can hear he's on the phone to his fiance, and he says that I'm really sorry, you know, I'm sorry to this, but it's off, it's off. And there's obviously a little bit of back and forth, maybe some tears shed, and that's it. So the Rob says to, to the young man, he says, what happened? What did Rav Shach say to you? He said, nothing. You know, he can't speak French, I don't speak English, I don't speak Yiddish, so of course he said nothing. He said, so what did he do? 
He said, all he did was, for a quarter of an hour, he held my hand, with one hand he took my hand in his, and with his other hand he stroked my cheek, and that's what he did. The love that he exuded, the love which he gave, I could sense through that, with the warmth of his hand, touching my cheek, holding my hand, it melted my heart, and my resolve just melted away like that. I can't do it. Rav Shach, who was known as a staunch, he stood up for what he believed. Some people, Hazar Kanoi, he must have been. Rav Shach's love for every single Jew was incredible. That's true of us, Yisrael. It doesn't mean that I agree with your principles. We don't have to agree with principles, but we do have to agree with the personal. And that's what's happening with these stones. These stones are surrounding Yaakov. They can see these are the potential Akedas. Yibod, as we said, the Ashkenazi Jew and the Sephardi Jew and the religious one and the non-religious, but we're all the Khalal Amcha. No one's gone out of the ranks. No one's done anything terrible enough to be, to be termed an Apikarius or something like that, a Kaifa. So we're all in there. And the, 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 uh, the enemies are encroaching. And we can see, each one thinks, well, I'm not going to be, no, he's coming for me, he's coming for me. We all realize we're all Jews together. So what do we do? What do we do? Oh, we all join together. If you take the gematria of the word Evan, Evan is gematria, other face known as 53. The Rosh of the word Tzadik, Tzadik, Tzadik Dalet Yod Kuf, the Rosh, the first letter of the word Tzadik is Tzadik. Take Tzadik, Tzadik is gematria 90, and put that Olai on the Evan. Evan is gematria 53, add 90 to it, and you get gematria 143. If you add to that the one who is Yaakov, Yaakov is the one who unites all of them together, you get 144. I think anyone's good enough at math to know 144 is 12 squares. That means all 12 stones, it's 12 times 12, meaning that every single stone has within it all the other stones within. Every stone is made up of 12 parts. Every single stone, as we know with the Shavuotim, when Yaakov Avinu gave them the brachas, he gave each one their unique bracha because they had a unique tachlis. But at the end of it, it says, Kivir asher And Rashi says, at the end of it, he says, you know what, you've all got your unique tachlis. You've all got your unique way of serving Hashem. And that's why I've given each of you your specific bracha. But I want you to know that ultimately you're in this together. And you've each got a part of each other within you. And therefore, each bracha, the bracha I gave to Rulain applies to all of you. The bracha I gave to Shimon applies to all of you. All of you are included in all the brachas, because we are in this together. That's Allah Yaniyat Tzadik When that happens, when we unite as one, then what happens? When there's a sense of afters between all the stones, when all Yidam unite as one, then Hashem says, Aha, now my Shekhinah is ready to descend and to reveal itself on the face of the Tzadik. When the Shabbatim come together, then Hashem's Malchus reveals itself through the Jewish people. And when Hashem's Malchus reveals itself through the Jewish people, then as we've said, those wild beasts will look and they'll run off. It's true, the stones may be tiny little stones. Stones which are not going to scare off any bear, any lion, any tiger. But when the stones unite as one, Physically, they may be very little. They may be very small. They haven't grown in size. But when we unite as one, the Shekhinah comes, the Goyim look, our enemies look, and they see 
This person is a mirror of Hashem. This united people, they are ambassadors of the Shekhinah. They're in awe of the Shekhinah, and with that, they run away. That's what happens. It occurred to me, again, with that story with the Rebbe Khan of Asana, it says they, they rounded up 12 Tamidei Chachomim. And then, they suddenly noticed the leader of the Jewish people, because Chaim Moses had already been Nifta, at that time, the leader of the Jewish people. The leader of these 12, Rebbe Khanah. You have the twelve and the person under which they united. But it's no surprise, I mean, these were twelve of the greatest Hamidah Chachom in there. They were obviously united together. This one may have been a Moshiach, this one may have been a Magid Sheh, this one... But the mice, they were united. And therefore, when they looked at the face of the leader, what did they see? They saw the Shekhinah. One of them said, we can't take this person. No, as we said, sadly, sadly the other person wasn't even able to see that. But that's the, the vault. When the stones are surrounding Yaakov, the gate, the stones, each one is a potential arcade, a different strand of Yiddishkeit. And each one thinks, I've got the real McCoy, I'm the real thing. I'm the one the Shekhinah really wants. The enemies are surrounding, they're encroaching. And we suddenly realize they don't care whether you're this strand of Yiddishkeit or that strand of Yiddishkeit. To them, a Jew is a Jew. So suddenly we realize, you know what, that's quite correct. We're all Jews together, we unite as one. The Shekhinah descends, they see the Shekhinah, and with that, they leave us alone. That's the way it works. Yaakov Avinu was being shown in this dream. He was being shown in this dream that this is the message for all time. We know with the sons, the, the sons of, of Yaakov, Yosef and the sons, they had a disagreement. The other sons believed we don't need Yosef. So they sold, I mean, initially they wanted to kill Yosef and they were going to tell Yaakov, Chaya, listen to the Lashon again, it was one of the wild enemies. Yeah, they took him. In the end, he was put into a pit. Yehuda says, you know what? Let's not leave him in the pit. Let's take him out and sell him. Who to? Who did they sell him to? The Pasuk says, to the Yishma'edim. They were Midyonim as well, but it says the Yishma'edim. There's a split. We're now in the hands of the Yishma'edim. So Yosef goes down. He goes down to Mitzrayim. And we know the whole story as it unfolds. In the end, what happens? In the end, finally, the brothers go looking for Yosef. And it says, Vayigash Elo Yehuda. Yehuda, the moment we've all been waiting for, Yehuda, who was the one who started this sense of period, this sense of division, he draws near to Yosef. He says, you know what, Yosef? This is based on Medrashim. He realizes that Yosef and Yehuda, we have to be united. Moshiach and Yosef will have his way, Moshiach and David will have his way. But one without the other, we're not going to get anywhere. By Yigash Elov Yehuda, the moment Yehuda steps forward and links and joins hands with, with, uh, with Yosef, at that point, Yosef realized, it's now time to reveal my identity. All twelve sons are now united there. Yaakov comes down to Mitzrayim, and what does he see? Because, you know, everyone asks, why at that time? He's coming down to Mitzrayim. This is the time to be saying Kriyashima. Yaakov Ovin is busy saying Kriyashima. Why now? The answer is because Yaakov Ovin is coming down to Mitzrayim. And he sees all the sons are united as one. All united in one stone. Which stone? All united in the stone of Yosef. That stone is the stone which is going to go under the head of Yaakov. We know that the protege of, of Yaakov was Yosef. Now, that all twelve stones have united as one. Now, Shema Yisrael Hashem Echod. 
truly now Hashem Echo. Hashem can be seen as one because they say Aleph Ches Dalet, Aleph the Shlal says is Yaakov, Ches is the eight sons of Rachel and Neil, the Dalet are the four sons of the of the of the Shfafis, of Bilan Zilpa. Now truly Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekein Hashem Echod, when he saw that sense of unity, all in under the under the head of in the stone of Yosef, now he realized they've got one united stone, the Shekhinah is here, Hashem Elekinu Hashem Echot. Remember when Yaakov Avinu woke up from his dream, it says, Vayashkeim Baboiki, woke up in the morning, the time of redemption, it says he took that single stone, Vayosem Oisoch Matzebo, and he made it a Matzebo. And Chazal tell us that stone was the foundation stone for the Beis Hamikdash. That stone which was made up of the, the Achdus from the 12 tribes, formed the foundation stone for the Beis Hamikdash. All seems to have ended well. But let's just follow it through one last stage. Yaakov Ovinu is now lying down for a second time in his life. He's now lying down for the final time, his final illness, and he realizes the end of his life is coming close. So he calls together all his children, and he wants to reveal to them when it's going to be the end of days. All of a sudden, his talcum and then our Shekhinah, the Shekhinah departs. So he looks around at his children and he says, once again, you're not united? What's going on over here? So the children say, Just as you believe in one God, we put aside our differences, we're united as one. So the question begs itself. So why, Taka, did the Shekhinah depart? What went wrong? The answer is that, the answer is like this. Because let's see, have the, have the sons of, of Yaakov have they really united as one? If you follow it through, after Yaakov Avinu died, so the children took Yaakov Avinu up, they buried him, and on the way back from the burial, they went to him, they went to Yosef, and they said, Please forgive us. Now look at the Pesukim there. Yosef breaks down, he, he, he cries, he says, I've got nothing against you, I'm, you know, Hashem, this is all the workings of Hashem, don't worry, I'll look after you. But Avinu Bechai says something absolutely frightening. But he says, you know what? You know, you often see this. You go to somebody and say, are you mocha me? Oh, you, there's nothing wrong, etc. Says Rabbeinu Bechai, if you don't say, I'm mocha you, it's not all fixed up. Yosef never said, I'm mocha you. And what was the result of that? He, he didn't say, I'm mocha you. If he didn't say, I'm mocha you, it means we're not yet united as one. What's going to be the result of that? Ten of the greatest Jewish figures in our rich history, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shmuel, etc., died al Kiddush Hashem. It's exactly what we've said. Because they haven't united absolutely as one. Let me just conclude with a perhaps a, a practical uh, application of this based on what we just said. The Gemara says, Anyone who reads Kriyashma when he goes to bed, the harmful forces at night will, be, will keep away from him. Another Gemara says, he'll have a two-edged sword to fight off these harmful spirits at night. What's the posseg? On which posseg is that based? So the, it's the posseg in Tehillim. It says, Basically, you go to bed and you sing Hashem's praises. You say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekin Hashem Echot. It says, But before you get to that, what does it say in the posseg just before that? It says, Yalazu Chasidim there's a condition. Before you say Kriyashima, you've got to be a Chosid. 
A chosid doesn't mean the person who wears the garb. A chosid means somebody who's prepared to go beyond the letter of the law. He wronged me during the day, I'm prepared to be moichadim. The minute a person says, I'm moichadim, before I go to sleep, then you're ready to say shema. Then you've got the protection. Just saying shema on its own will not give the person the protection. At Yaakov Avinu's demise, they said shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echot. Did it protect them? Ten of the greatest men were taken. Why? Because they weren't like, there wasn't a sense of mechira, the Shema didn't give the protection. In order to merit that protection, that shechira, you've got to have, you've got to have that, that uh, mechira before it. There's a story with Rabbi Abba. It's a story told in the Zayar. Rabbi Abba one time was sitting at the gates of Lut. And he saw a man sitting on a big boulder. And the man was obviously very, very tired. And he fell asleep. All of a sudden, Rabbi Abba realized the boulder was breaking. It was about to go over the cliff. So he was going to run and wake the person up. But then he saw there was a snake coming very quickly towards the man. What's he going to do? All of a sudden, some other animal comes and kills the snake. Next moment, the man wakes up, and he gives a big yawn, gets off the boulder, and as he gets off the boulder and starts walking away, the boulder goes over the cliff. He's completely oblivious to what's just happened. So Rabbi Abba runs over to him and he says, you must be a tremendous static. Do you realize you were just saved from death twice? He says, no, I'm a posh tayyid. He says, no, no, you must have a great tzachos. What is it? So he says, he thinks, he says, no, I'm a posh tayyid. The only thing I can think of is, I've got a certain practice. That before I go to bed at night, before I say Shema, I say that anyone who has wronged me during the day, I forgive him with my full heart. So Rabbi Abba said, now I know why you gain that protection. Think about it. That mechila is what held those stones together. That boulder was held together whilst he was lying there. Why? Because he was meichel. That mechila is what protected him from the wild animals, from the snake which wanted to kill him. It was the mechila which protected him. It's not the shema. The shema will only give protection once you've got the mechila. Finally, with this I will conclude, we can answer our original question. When Nebuzaradon came to destroy the Beis Hamikdash, when Nebuzaradon came to destroy the Beis Hamikdash, he had a very, very difficult time, the Gemara says. He came with 300 mules laden with lots of axes and equipment. And on one gate he tried, with this one the axe broke. Another one, one after the other, he was left with one final axe. And he thought, this is ridiculous, it's embarrassing, I'm giving up. He was then told from heaven, he was told, you know, try with the last one and you'll succeed. And as he tried, he made his way in easily. He went in, he destroyed, he burnt down the, the Hechol. So he was all proud of himself. You see? Look at me. So a heavenly voice came out and it said, don't be so proud of yourself. All you've done is you've ground down, ready down, gra- re- ready ground flour, you've burnt up ashes, etc. So Chaim Veloshan says, you know, Peshat is like this. He says, Esau, Amolek, Yishmoel, they can't touch a spiritual structure. When the Shekhinah is there, they cannot touch it. They won't touch it. If you, Nebuzaradon, have succeeded in destroying the Beis HaMikdosh, it's only because Qadr Yisrael have already destroyed it. They've already caused the Shekhinah to leave. Have we caused the Shekhinah to leave? The answer is, remember what we've said. The foundation stone of the Beis HaMikdosh was the 12 stones united as one. That was the foundation stone. That was the stone which brought the Shekhinah. When there was Sinas Chinah, when there was baseless hatred, that stone crumbled. That stone crumbled. There's no foundation stone. The Shekhinah says, I'm leaving. 
then of course, Esau's no longer scared. Titus comes in, Nebuzaradon comes in, do it, they do as they like. Says, HaKadosh Baruch I promise you in the future, I allowed the Romans, I allowed Nebuzaradon, I allowed Titus, I allowed, I allowed them to, to burn down the edifice. And I promise you, therefore, I will take full responsibility and I will put the, put the base Hamikdash back. But I can only do it when there's a foundation stone. You destroy the foundation stone. You, with your sinas chinon, destroy the base, the, that foundation stone. And only you can put that foundation stone back together. The day you unite as one, you'll, you, you forgive and forget the wrongdoings of one to the other. You will unite as one. The Shekhinah will come and you'll get your base Hamikdash back. That's Peshat in the Gemara. When the two Moshiachs come, Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David come, they're fighting against Amalek. They're fighting against these highest rods. They will only be able to fight when we unite as one. Vayigash Elov Yehuda. Yehuda and Yosef will unite as one, but this time will be truly as one. Not like that time when apparently Yosef was not able to be Michael. With the passage of time, we'll all be able to be Michael one another, Yosef will forgive and forget, he'll be able to truly be Meichel Yehuda for what happened. The two of them will fight, will, will join hands together. And that battle against Amorik is what's going to rid the world of Amorik and all they stand for. It will replace that stone, that stone of Aftas, the foundation stone of the base Hamikdash. And that's what it means that these two Moshiachs are going to build our base Hamikdash. Not the edifice, that will be Hashem. But the foundation stone of the base Hamikdash, which obviously has to be in place, that's what we will build. In Yaakov's dream, he saw the, the he saw Malachim going up the ladder. And one Malach went up seventy rungs, came back down. That was Goddess Bodov, etc., etc. The final Malach went up, up, and up, and it didn't seem to be coming down. That they say is the last Goddess. When will it come to an end? Nistal Yaakov wanted to tell us, but the Shekhinah went away. The reason is because there's no real fixed time. It's up to us. The day we put our differences aside, we realize we're all Jews together will be the day when all these wild animals, all the anti-Semites in the world, who are out there because Esau sin is Yaakov, they will see the Shekhinah on our faces. They will be scared, they will be in awe, not of us, but of the Shekhinah. That will be the day when finally we'll merit the Chiyas and merit the third Beis HaMikdash.